Welcome to the Balanced, Beautiful, and Abundant Show. My name is Rebecca Whitman, and I'm a success mentor. I believe there are seven pillars of success. Your spiritual life, your physical fitness, your emotional, romantic, mental, social, and finally, your financial life. When you get all seven areas in alignment, you are balanced, beautiful, and abundant. I learned this the hard way. I've always made money. Unfortunately, I spent so much time making money that I never had time for the rest of my life. So, despite not having financial worries, I was never happy. I wanted romance, but I didn't have time to date. I wanted to be in great shape, but I couldn't find a moment to go to the gym. I wanted a more spiritual life, but I didn't meditate. That also takes time. I wanted to read great books and fill my mind with deep thoughts, but I never made the time. I wanted a great social life, not just going to work-related events. Emotionally, I was a wreck because my life was totally out of balance. Today, I earn more money than I ever have in my life, and I work only part-time. I have the relationship of my dreams. I'm in the best physical shape of my life. I'm spiritually grounded. I feel fulfilled mentally, socially, and emotionally. My life is in perfect alignment. This podcast will help you discover where your life is out of balance. My mission is to support you in achieving work-life balance so that you can have more fun and freedom in life. On my show, you will get to learn from experts in all seven areas of abundance. My guests have achieved tremendous success in their zone of genius. Are you ready to go to a level 10 in all seven areas of life? You got this. What's up? How are you? I am doing so well. Welcome to the Balanced, Beautiful, Abundant Show. I know that we met about a, a year ago on Good Morning La La Land, and I have wanted to learn more about your teachings and expertise ever since. So I'm so excited to have you on the show. I'm so grateful to be on the show. It was a, such a fantastic and serendipitous meeting there, and just loved having you on Good Morning La La Land. You're such an inspiration. Thank you so much for having me on your show. You are so welcome. I'm going to tell my listeners a little bit about your background, just so they know who you are and how awesome you are. So Rob Mack is an Ivy League educated celebrity, and he is a positive psychology expert, which is awesome because you're going to be speaking into the mental part of the seven pillars of balance today. So that's so exciting. You are, he is the author of Happiness from the Inside Out. Great title. Uh, he is a TV show host for Good Morning La La Land. He has also been featured on huge shows like Access Hollywood, Good Morning America, The Today Show, The E Network, Entertainment Tonight, The CBS Early Show, and so many magazines like Self health glamour cosmopolitan gq and forbes magazine wow and i saw your pictorial in gq and wow you were definitely looking amazing on those shots so, so not appreciate only happy, that. he's a former model so that's that's part of why you know how to take such an amazing photograph so um and he also has a master's this is so cool, an applied positive psychology from the University of Pennsylvania, 
only a few dozen people in the entire world have this degree. That is so yeah. incredible. <laughs> so what does that even mean? A master's in applied positive psychology. What is that master's? Yeah, so it's a face valid, time-tested, empirical study of uh, happiness, really. The science of happiness and the science of success, the ways in which success does or does not lead to happiness, the ways in which happiness does or does not lead to success. And so it's about 20 years old science that's all about what makes life worth living. And what was your biggest takeaway from that program? Yeah, well, the greatest takeaway is that success doesn't lead to happiness, but happiness does lead to success. And so happiness is not only the greatest success, meaning it's the reason that we want to accomplish, achieve, or acquire anything and everything in the world, but it's also, it also leads to success, right? So it's the greatest success and it leads to success, meaning more traditional forms of success. So the happier people in the world, they live longer, about six to seven years longer. They make more money, about 600 to $700,000 more on average over the course of their entire lifetime. They get married earlier, stay married longer, happier in all the relationships, whether they're married or not. They experience less job burnout. Really in all ways, happiness improves the objective circumstances and conditions of your life. That's incredible. I love that success doesn't lead to happiness, but happiness leads to success. So in my teachings, I divide life into seven areas of balance and financial is the last piece of the puzzle. But so many people are like, oh, you know, when I make money, then I'll hire a trainer. When I make money, then I'll have enough money to go out and date. Or when I make money, you know, then I'll have time to like socialize with my friends. Until then, I'm just going to focus on making money. But it's actually the opposite. Can you speak into that? Yeah. Um, you know, it's so interesting. And I think a lot of us do that. We put the cart before the horse. And it's understandable. You know, we want to be or feel safe and stable and secure before we go out and do these other things that feel like risk. But the problem is, is that life can only be lived in the present moment. It always shows up as just another present moment. Even every future moment shows up as the present again. And so the challenge and the opportunity is to do what you can to enjoy your life now. By doing so, you'll enjoy it. Of course, you'll feel better for it. But also that feeling better, that those better feelings that you have, they actually prepave a much more successful uh, journey and a much more happy sort of destination for you as well. And so the challenge and the opportunity is to find ways to increasingly enjoy your life now, knowing that you're going to be more creative, efficient, effective, efficacious at everything that you do from then forward. Yeah, I agree, Rob. It's all about having a joyous journey. It's not putting your happiness, I call it over thereism. Like I'll get happy when I get married, when I have kids, when I graduate from college, when I buy that big house, people put their happiness over there and they're like the donkey chasing the carrot. They never get the <laughs> carrot. Before they know it, they're like 85 years old in a nursing home going, wait, what happened? I never got happy. I was chasing the whole time. It's true. Um, I call it destination addiction, but I love the way you refer to it. That's beautiful. And it's catchy, you should patent that. Um, yeah, I think you know, a lot of us really do outsource our happiness to the world, to other people, to other things, to other places, events, experiences. And most of us eventually, if you live long enough, you begin to see through the illusion and the promise that the world and other people and other things unintentionally, um, unwittingly make, right? So they, this promise that they can make you happy. But if you live long enough, you see through that, 
and you realize that the world can do nothing but break that promise over and over again. And as frustrating as that is, it does lead you back to the realization recognition that most of happiness, in fact, scientists say at least 90% of happiness is up to you. It's voluntary things that you choose to do or choose to think, uh, voluntary you know, relationship that you choose to have or not have. And so, so much of happiness, you know, at least 90%, I would argue even more than that, I would argue 100% is completely and totally within your hands and your control. And how interesting that people in third world countries that are living on dirt floors and, you know, using an outhouse and have no indoor plumbing or showers, they're in many cases happier than people in the first world where we can just hit a button and one day later we can get anything in the world from Amazon. You, so, you just nailed it. Yeah. yeah, it's like it's consumerism, right, Rob? Like people are like, if you buy this, if you buy this cologne or perfume, if you go on this vacation, if you drink this type of alcohol, you'll be happy. But that is so false. So how do you explain that people in the third world with none of the fancy technology or niceties that we have are actually happier than a lot of people here? Yeah, it's so true. Um, it can be frustrating, I think, to so many of us. Um, lots of my private practice clients, you know, they do extremely well, very successful, they make lots of money, they're very affluent, and lots of them are very frustrated because they finally get to a place where they feel like, man, I have more than all my friends have, and I feel less happy than all of my friends are. And so, you know, it's what we call the mar diminishing marginal utility of the dollar. And so there's lots of evidence and lots of research. Wait, repeat that again. I want to... Yes, the diminishing... <laughs> marginal utility of the dollar, which nice. means that you get less bang for your buck. So for every additional buck, you get less and less happiness, you know, as a result of that additional dollar. And so when you're making about $75,000 or less, every additional dollar actually does improve your happiness to some extent, because you can't pay for basic, you know, necessities, right? You don't have a roof over your head, maybe shelter, maybe you don't have clothes. So that's going to definitely help. But after a certain point, when you reach a level of subsistence, when you can pay for your basic necessities, additional dollars don't make a whole lot of difference at all. And eventually you reach a point where you totally tap out in terms of how much joy you can squeeze out of money, right? And so that's part of it right there. You know, there's something we call the hedonic treadmill, which is that essentially all of us as human beings adjust to even the best or the worst of circumstances and conditions. And so most of us, no matter what we achieve, accomplish, or acquire, or don't achieve, accomplish, or acquire, we end up basically defaulting back to our baseline level of happiness. So that's why, for instance, people get married, they experience a little honeymoon period, and then before you know it, they're just as unhappy as they were before they got married, and maybe sometimes even unhappier than they were before they got married. Same thing with lottery winners or folks that are par paralyzed, you know, in, in, a, in a positive way. They, we often think, well, if something traumatic like that happened and we were paralyzed, my gosh, how our happiness would be compromised. And it is for a short period of time, but by and large, most people return to their baseline levels of happiness again, you know? And that's with the exception of taking real intentional or making real intentional effort towards improving that baseline. So that baseline level is partly genetic. We said that at least 50% of your happiness is genetic, means it's well, in your DNA. Yeah, so. So your DNA has like a happiness program in it, and that's carried on from generation to generation. Right. And the interesting thing about it is it's perfectly malleable. So the thing about the happiness set point is that unlike height or unlike hair color, which you can't do anything about, with your happiness set point, you can actually change it by thinking new thoughts, 
by surrounding yourself with new people, by consuming different information, by making happier decisions and choices in your life. And so it's actually a malleable thing. If you've ever read any you know, research around neuroplasticity and neuroscience, you know that that's absolutely supported by real science. And so it's interesting that that 50%, perfectly malleable, you can do a lot to influence it and change it. The other 40% is um, you know, other things like you know, optimism, gratitude, relationship building, all those kinds of things. They say that the final 10%, so if you've got 100%, then 50% is genetic, that's, that's changeable. The other 40% are other changeable things. And then the 10% is conditions and circumstances. And so even when your life is perfect, if you can imagine having unlimited money, money the perfect relationships, perfect health, all of that together only accounts for about 10% of your happiness. So if you had the perfect life, you still are 90% of away from having perfect happiness, right? And so there's a disconnect there. And so most of us, we put way too much of our time, energy, and effort in that 10% getting a perfect life, life instead of discovering or enjoying the perfection that exists within our life already. So 10% are the circumstances, situations, and events. 90% is genetics and your internal dialogue, yeah. changing that dialogue. And I know, uh, yeah, the research says you can change the neural pathways in your brain that were already programmed for worry, doubt, and fear and program them for happiness. So what are some of the practices that you do and you teach your clients to help rewire and reprogram your brain for happiness? Yeah, so one of the greatest practices is simply a pattern interrupt. You know, part of becoming a happier person is becoming more sensitive to how you feel. So instead of monitoring your thoughts all day, which is what a lot of people do, just notice how you feel. When you don't feel tapped in, tuned in, turned on, when you don't feel all that peaceful or happy and you're starting to spiral a little, you feel unhappy, you feel worried, anxious, fearful, then use some kind of pattern interrupt. Some people, they just distract themselves with anything else. I've got clients that will in their head, look into the room or wherever they happen to be situated in that moment, and they'll just call out objects in their head to distract them from the unhappy thoughts. And other clients are a little bit more um, sort of assertive with that, and they'll actually just begin to tell themselves a better feeling story based in truth. So it has to be based in truth, otherwise it won't be believable, but they'll say, yes, it's been a tough day, and that means that because I'm feeling so low, I can only go up from here. And there's so many things to be grateful for, but the idea essentially is learning to positively reframe the negative, uncomfortable, or unhappy stories that you tell yourself and other people all day, every day. And if you can't do that, if you can't be positive, at least be quiet, or at least distract yourself with something else that's more positively absorbing and consuming. So it's all about changing your narrative, changing yeah. the stories that you tell yourself and you tell other people. And I love that quote, change your story, change your life. So if somebody's in a negative feedback loop and they're in a victim story and they, they've told it so many times again that you can like smell it when they walk into the room, how would you start with someone who came to you and said, Rob, I'm tired of being a victim. What can I do now to shift from victim mentality? Yeah. So, so many, I mean, there's so many tips, tricks, and tools that we could offer up. The most important piece of the whole thing is really meaning it when you say you want to be happy. Like so many of us say that, but we don't, that doesn't always, we don't always demonstrate that with our action. So we say we want to be happy, but we're actually much more interested in continuing this drama filled or dramatic story and telling other people it because we get sympathy and we get love back. And that feels, you know, better than not getting any love. And so 
we have to really mean it when we say we want to be happy. That's the first piece above all else. In fact, if you just did that, then it's so easy to know that the stove is hotter. It's so easy to know that those unhappy feelings hurt when you think them or the unhappy story hurts when you tell other people and you can just stop telling other people or you can begin to reframe it. Um, and then from that point forward, if you can practice just for 66 days of telling yourself and other people a better feeling story based in truth or by doing something as simple as distracting yourself from the unhappy story and just saying, look, I'm not gonna think about the more positive version of this story because I can't do that very well or I'm not interested in doing that well, very well. What happened is what happened. If you just simply drop telling the story at all and you focus on something else that was at least neutral, if not positive, you would find in 66 days with consistent effort, your brain would make it almost automatic or at least much more effortless in terms of telling that story, more positive story, or at least distracting you from the negative story over and over again. It almost becomes a habit, right? So that's the most important thing is choosing sort of happiness above all else, above everybody and everything else. Second, using some form of pattern interrupt or positive reframing. Um, you know, the other opportunity is this, is that, you know, at the deepest level, happiness isn't really about thinking all the time. In fact, thinking can be pretty anxiety provoking, even when you're telling yourself a better feeling story that's based in truth, even when you're focusing on positive thoughts and positive activities and positive experiences. So instead, you can just simply experience or play with experiencing, not thinking at all, right? So that's what meditation is about. That? How do you not think at all? Yeah, so we all have moments in the day where we're doing that already. So when you first wake up in the morning, maybe when you are lasting at night when you're going to sleep, there's a moment or two at least when your mind is so exhausted, when your body is so exhausted that it's just enjoying being in the bed, under the comforter, in the sheets, it's enjoying the company of your partner, your spouse, the puppy, whatever happens to be around you, and you're not thinking. You're just experiencing sense perceptions. So the opportunity and the practice that I offer to most people is what we call micro-meditation. Micro-meditation is just one breath. It's not an hour, it's not 30 minutes, it's not even a minute. It's one breath that you take as often as humanly possible throughout the day, no matter what else you're doing, with a simple goal of simply enjoying that breath and not letting thoughts get in the way. So for instance, when you first wake up, last thing at night when you're falling asleep, your brain is in what we call alpha theta wave state. It means it's very sleepy essentially, and it's practically quiet. And what you wanna do is you wanna enjoy one breath all the way in through your nose and all the way out of your nose without thinking and just focusing on squeezing as much joy out of that single breath as humanly possible. And the way you do that is by focusing on feeling the experience of the breath instead of thinking about the breath or thinking about anything else, right? And so if so you can focus on- Why don't you demonstrate for us? Yeah, so it's just simply, you know, you can keep your eyes open if you want, but okay. it's easier sometimes for some of us to close our eyes, but you just breathe in through the nose. Breathe out through the nose. And as you breathe in, you want to just notice little things like, what does the breath smell like? What does the air smell like? What does the breath feel like in terms of temperature? But the more you can focus on feeling, the less you'll start to think or the less you'll begin thinking. And all of a sudden you'll experience this like little gap, little pregnant pause between thoughts. That pregnant pause is really pregnant with a bundle of joy. I mean, it's happiness in there, it's peace in there. And so the more you practice this micro meditation, 
you'll notice you'll start to sort of string them together. And before long, you have an entire hour, day, weeks, where you're simply experiencing a much more peaceful life. That is so beautiful. I heard this uh, spiritual teacher say, the mind controls the body, but the breath controls the mind. Mm. So if our mind starts racing and starts getting into fear, doubt, worry, anxiety, we can rein it back in through the breath. So I love this micro meditation. First thing upon awakening and last thing when you go to bed. I'm definitely going to start doing that practice tonight. I'm so excited. So you have coached everyone from A-list celebrities to professional athletes to just, you know, uh, regular people. So what is the common denominator? What does everybody want? Happiness. They just want happiness. You know, we use different words for happiness. Sometimes people call it contentment, fulfillment, joy. Some people call it love. They call it peace. They call it $50 million. But at the end of the day, we only want what we want because we think we'll feel better for having it. And so ultimately, everybody's just after happiness. And that's the one thing all human beings share in common is we all want to be happy. And, uh, you know, sometimes we fight and argue over what happiness is, but, you know, words and thoughts and explanations won't give you happiness. You need an experience of happiness to know what happiness is. It's like tasting honey. I could describe it all day, but until you've had a real lasting, meaningful and abiding experience of a live peace or peaceful aliveness is what, which is what I call happiness, it's easy to mistake pleasure for happiness or lust for happiness or you know the trappings of success for happiness but none of those things last and none of those things are sort of substantial it's kind of like eating junk food all day it's great and you can enjoy it now and then but if you spend your life eating nothing but junk food very quickly you create all kinds of other problems for yourself and for all the people around you and so we all really just want to be happy so do you think it's harder or easier for an average person to be happy because you're coaching like A-list celebrities and professional athletes and the whole world is going, yay, you're great. I want to, you know, play a sport like you, dress like you, be like you, walk like you, talk like you. And they're getting all this outside adulation, whereas just um, a regular person, an average person has to find that self-approval from the inside. So do you think the journey is the same or is it harder or easier for celebrities to find happiness? Yeah, so happiness is an equal opportunity endeavor. You know, there's no question about it. You know, um, I, growing up, I used to think, oh my goodness, those athletes, those celebrities, those folks that are extraordinarily wealthy, how blessed they must be, the charm lives they lead. And then you get to know a few of them or a lot of them. And before you know it, you realize that what you consider a blessing is often an extraordinary curse as far as they see it, a challenge as far as they see it. When you experience nothing but adulation and appreciation, approval from people outside of you, all of a sudden it sort of misdirects you and misleads you, trains you away from the very source of happiness within you. And so in some ways you're hamstrung, you know, you've almost become so detached and removed from the source of happiness within you that you can't or believe that you can't find it again, you know, and not just that, but then all of a sudden now you're chasing Everybody else is liking, like, likes and love and approval and appreciation. And you're just so separated from yourself, sometimes you don't even realize it, right? Whereas if you ha don't have that experience, you're not famous, you're just an anonymous person like the rest of us, then you don't have to overcome that particular hurdle in the same way. And so I would say that, you know, we all experience our lives 
individually, uniquely ourselves. And I would say that happiness is equally easy or difficult um, for all of us. There's no, um, you know, nobody really gets a leg up in terms of happiness in this world. And the things that you think are obstacles to your happiness are often the very things that lead you to a deeper, more meaningful experience of happiness. Um, like me, you know, I was suicidal for a long time. You know, I was depressed and suicidal. I still have suicide test marks on my wrist. And believe it or not, that experience led me to being as happy, if not happier, than anybody else I've ever met. I mean, because it's focused me on happiness in a way that other people who are much richer or more successful haven't had an opportunity to do, right? So, you know, it's interesting. Um, I would not call avoiding adversity a blessing or a leg up in this life. Everybody struggles. And thank you so much for sharing that vulnerability. I had a kind of a cry for help, fake suicide attempt too when I was 19. And that kind of put me on a spiritual path. And I say it takes a lot of suffering to get this happy. Yeah, it's, and that's precisely it. It's like they say, no um, sort of lotus without the mud, right? So no mud, no lotus. And it's true too for human beings to a large extent, you know, there's two ways to sort of come around to seeing both the value of happiness and also being happy and being happiness. And that is through suffering, intense suffering. And that's how most of us led there, but also through intelligence and awareness, right? So, you know, there, so happiness requires suffering and then an awareness of what leads and doesn't lead to, to suffering. And then just choosing the happier path, right? So it's like you experience enough suffering, you begin to, it, dis, it sort of disabuses you of this idea that anything or anybody in the world can make you happy. And that's frustrating at first, but it's so incredibly inspiring and enlivening in the end. It's freedom. It is. It's it is not freedom. being attached to anyone or anything, but it's also a daily discipline and a daily practice because everything in our culture is all about attachment to people, to things, to ideals. And it's like, it's a choice. It's a, like you said, it's a moment by moment choice once you know the difference. You nailed it. And that's precisely it. You know, it's hard to sell a perfectly blissful person's stuff, <laughs> right? <laughs> you can't guilt trip them very easily. You can't, you know, sort of heap this condemnation and their, this guilt on their head and think that it's going to, you know, produce a result that is more in your self-interest. You can't, you know, scare them enough because they're blissful. They're deeply, you know, perfectly abidingly blissful. And so it's hard to sell people. So yes, we live in a society in a world where fear and guilt and shame and these things are used to influence people and control people in ways that are self-serving. Um, and so, yeah, if you're looking for happiness or peace or love in the world or other people, it will be very short-lived. But you and I are two of the happiest people I know and we love to shop. So how do you explain ah, that? <laughs> well, well, see, that's, now that's the thing, right? It's kind of like, it's interesting. I remember reading somewhere, I forget who it was. It was a philosopher, but he said something like, he said, I love going window shopping and looking at all the things that I find beautiful, but do not need. And I think that's kind of the difference. There's a you know, question of where you're coming from when you're doing anything in your life. Are you coming from a place where you're ego driven and it's all about scarcity and you need to be happy? Or is it an expression of your fullness and fulfillment already? Like I love clothes like you, and I love cars and I love nice things. And there was a period in my life very early on where I felt like I needed it to get other people's appreciation and their approval in order to be someone. You know, I sought myself for those things. But as you get older, you realize, man, I don't need any of those things. In fact, I feel free without them. And that being said, 
I love beautiful things. I love beautiful people. And it, you know, enhances the happiness I have, but it cannot give me happiness, right? And I think that's the difference. Are you seeking happiness through it or are you allowing it to be an expression of the happiness that you already feel inside? Yes. And I think appreciating beautiful things is good, but the differentiation between needing them to feel okay is different. So thank you for that distinction. So how do you process negative feelings today? You know, let's say that you got a negative email or a negative phone call or because it's only human to feel some negative emotions. What do you do? What is your personal process if you start feeling sad or unhappy about something? Yeah, so I, um, you know, I don't feel that. I don't feel that unhappiness or sadness anywhere near like I did 20 years ago. It was like almost an incessant experience. Um, you know, every now and then I might think or notice something that I'm, you know, someone homeless, for instance, or someone suffering, and you know, you feel something about that. And also, I think for me, what I do is I step back from the mind. You know, I think the whole, chi the whole key to being happy and peaceful is, and even self-loving, is to recognize and realize that you have a mind, but you're not it. That you have thoughts, but you don't need to be lost in your thoughts. That you can be in the storm, you know, yet above it. You know, be in the world, but yet above it. And so the challenge and opportunity for me is just to observe my thoughts, observe my feelings, to notice them, but to not add to them. Don't fuel them. Don't feed them with all of this attention, right? And sometimes we get in there and we try to change everything too much or we just get, and then before you know it, you start getting sucked in to this negative sort of vortex of bad feelings. And so instead, I step back and I look at and observe the thoughts and feelings I have the same way I do clouds in the sky. If, you know, you don't need to do anything about clouds in the sky. If you're frustrated about a rainy or an overcast day, the best thing you can do is take your attention off of it not get absorbed in it and realize and remember that there's a sun back or behind the clouds that's always shining just because you can't see it just because you can't feel it doesn't mean it's not there and you focusing on the clouds and obsessing about the clouds or focusing on your thoughts and feelings and obsessing about your thoughts and feelings is only feeding and fueling the very unhappiness that you want to escape right and so the same way that you pedal a bicycle and when you get tired of that physical trip you just put down the bicycle you can do the same thing with your unhappiness when you, you know, are essentially feeling unhappy and you're having this negative psychological trip, you can just put aside the mind, put down the mind, walk away from the mind and really just abide as awareness itself, non-judgmental, loving awareness itself. You don't have to get lost in all the thoughts and emotions. That is so beautiful. So some people say they even allow themselves to indulge in the self-pity or the negative emotions and they'll set a timer on their phone for like five minutes and they can hit the pillow and cry and scream and do whatever they need to do to get it out and then go back to their day. Or people like you who are more advanced, you just let it go right through you like the, the weather happening. When we started our uh, interview, it was pouring rain and now it's bright sun. So <laughs> it's the same thing that just happened in the weather right now. See, proof is in the pudding. And I love you saying that, Rebecca. You know, I, every time I talk to you, I'm always so inspired and enlightened by what you share and by who you are. And that's a perfect illustration. Um, you know, and that's a great place to start. Like you said, you know, if you're feeling like indulgence is always better than sort of repression. Because if you indulge without getting lost in the story in your head, because you just don't want to add an additional level or layer of suffering to what you're already experiencing. So if you can do that, yes, fully indulge, go all in and be really present with it. 
And it's amazing how quickly you'll come out. If you go all the way in, you're gonna come all the way out and all the way through much more quickly, right? And that being said, you know, there's a body of research um, around the value and use of sort of expressing or particularly your anger or your frustration, like taking it out on the pillow, taking it out on a you know, fake, um, I think it was a clown, like a, one of those clowns you punch down and comes back out up. And they basically found that you know, there are small benefits to it, but over the long run, you wanna be careful of feeding your anger and your upset. And so the challenge there again is just don't, if you're gonna indulge, indulge, but be very present moment minded about it. And don't get into the story in your head about it all. Just experience it and feel it intensely without thinking on top of it. And you'll be surprised, you'll come out of it a lot better and every single time it'll last less and less long. Exactly, and I find that exercising to certain kinds of music helps get it out. If I get really angry, just doing like a really intense, like, ah, like exercise, just getting it out of my body is so helpful too. It's honestly one of the best stress relievers and happiness boosters in the world is exercise. We know that exercising for about 30 minutes a day, just moderately, you know, moderate exercise is the equivalent to taking an antidepressant and an anti-anxiety pill, that it has that much of a positive effect on your psychological and emotional well-being without any side effects, only positive side effects, right? And so, yes, exercise for me is one of my, you know, go-tos every single day. That's incredible. So we're just going to finish with this last thought and we are in a pandemic and you were telling me before the interview officially started that 50% of people are unhappy right now. So what would you tell them as your closing message, the 50% of people that are unhappy uh, due to the pandemic? Yeah. Stay out of the places where happiness doesn't, you know, doesn't live, you know, just try to stay where happiness is. And so, Happiness, you'll never find happiness in the future. Stay out of there. Stay out of that forecasting, you know, how things are going to be or what things are going to look like or the new normal or any of these ideas. There, you know, happiness is to be found here and now. Your life is to be lived here and now. And you want to do everything humanly possible to enjoy here and now. The less time you can spend focused on forecasting, trying to predict what's ahead, the more time you can spend in the present moment and stay out of your head while you're in the present moment, the happier you'll be. You'll be surprised because we've worked so hard and so long to be happy, but happiness is actually our very nature. It's our true nature. When you're not thinking, right, you're already perfectly happy. That's why we love sleep, for instance, so much. You know, when you're in a dreamless state, that state of not thinking is perfectly blissful. I mean, it's so peaceful. I look forward to it every single night. I think most of us do. And so just remember at the end of the day that, you know, things will continue to improve. It's just the very nature of life. Things will continue to improve. You can do your part by simply enjoying yourself as much as humanly possible here and now. And you can do that best by staying out of your head. I love that. Staying out of the future because there's so much unknown uh, quantities in the future. When will this end? What will life be like? When is the vaccine coming out? Will it come back? And if you can just ground yourself and rein your mind into the moment, you can find happiness now because the future and the past are fiction. We have absolutely no power over them anyway. So why not just ground ourselves in the present? So that's, that's beautiful advice. You nailed it. You're right. You can't put a single finger on the past or future, right? The only thing we have is the now. And the now is always slipping between our fingers, you know, always vanishing and then over. And so we want to do everything we 
humanly possibly human, you know, possibly can to just enjoy the now. And you'd be surprised the more you enjoy the present moment, the more you take care of the present moment, you'll find that the future takes care of itself. That is beautiful. So I am just, I could talk to you all day long, but I know Likewise. that you're very busy today. So how can people stay in touch with you? Yeah, so you can find me at my website, which is coachrobmack.com. You can find me on all social media platforms, especially Instagram at robmackofficial. Uh, and you can also find uh, me or my book at Amazon and Barnes and Noble online. And what is your book called? Yeah, it's called Happiness from the Inside Out. Yay. So I'll have all that stuff in the show notes. Thank you so much for your time, Rob. It's always a delight. I learned so much from you and you're so fun to talk to and your happiness is just coming through the screen. So it's been an absolute joy to spend time with you this morning. Oh my gosh. The pleasure has been all mine as always. You're such a light and you're so full of love and wisdom. Thank you so much, Rebecca. I really appreciate you. Thank you. And listeners, thank you for tuning in to Balance, Beautiful, Abundant. If you feel that this episode would help anyone in your life who's not happy, please share it with them so we can spread happiness in the world. And we'll see you soon for the next show. Thanks for tuning in, guys. Who says you can't have it all? I'm proof that you can. You just have to put your life into balance. Too much of anything, money, fitness, socializing, can overtake your life. When all seven aspects of your life work in harmony, you will achieve the balanced, beautiful, and abundant life you've always dreamed of. Please subscribe to hear more inspiring interviews. Is there someone you know who could benefit from this podcast? Please share this podcast with them. Please review this podcast. Your feedback will help me target your needs and plan for upcoming shows that answer your questions and feature guest speakers that can make a big difference in your life. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Rebecca E. Whitman. Feel free to DM me to book a free balance assessment call. And don't forget, stay balanced, beautiful, and abundant.